We are continuing our sermon series going through the book of Jude. And it is a short sermon series because the book of Jude is short. It is made up of one chapter in our Bibles, and you will find Jude toward the very back of your Bible as it is the second to last book right before Revelation. But the fact that Jude is short does not mean that it is insignificant or not important. The book of Jude is a wonderful, encouraging, challenging book that the Lord had placed in the scriptures for our edification. In our sermon series, we have already learned that Jude was a half-brother of Jesus, but he did not claim special status because of his familial connection to Jesus. As a matter of fact, he referred to himself as a servant of Jesus. Now, during his earthly ministry, there was a point in time when some of Jesus' family members thought he was out of his mind, and they went to retrieve him, so to speak. They went to reel him in. They went to get him under control. We don't know for certain if Jude was among that group that tried to get Jesus under control, that thought Jesus was out of his mind, but he very well might have been. Yet after his death and resurrection, Jude came to faith in Jesus Christ. Whereas he may have at one point thought Jesus was out of his mind, he came to believe that Jesus is truly the Messiah, the Lord and Savior. And so he referred to his brother Jesus, not as my brother, but as my Savior. And he referred to himself as his servant. What a transformation. What a glorious salvation. What a testament to the truthfulness of the gospel that his own brother would call him Lord and Savior. And he not only became a believer, but also a servant and leader in the first century church. And as a leader in the church, he wrote this letter that we are studying now to a group of Christians for whom he was concerned. And Jude's desire was to write to these fellow believers about their salvation. He wanted to unpack the glorious truths of the gospel, which is like a multifaceted diamond. He was eager to help them grow in their understanding of the saving work of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wanted to write about their common salvation. But the circumstances in the church or churches to whom he was writing required him to go in a different direction with this letter. Instead of writing about our glorious salvation, he wrote to contend for the faith. He wrote to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And the fact that Jude wrote to contend for the faith speaks to the importance of the gospel. In contending for the faith, he was contending for the truthfulness of the gospel. You see, the teaching of the church, the teaching regarding the gospel is not incidental to who we are. It is not incidental to who we are as followers of Christ. It is not incidental to who we are as a church family. Rather, it is central. It is central to our identity. The gospel of Jesus Christ defines who we are and unites us together as a people. Apart from the gospel, we are not Christians. Apart from the gospel, we are not a church. The gospel is of utmost importance. It is worthy to be fought for. And therefore, Jude contended for the truth of the gospel. And when we speak of the gospel, we are speaking of the good news of Jesus Christ, that God has made a way 
to reconcile sinners such as us to himself. And he has done so at great cost to himself. You see, God created every single one of us in his image to know him, to love him, to enjoy him, to obey him, and to glorify him. Sadly, we have all rejected his good purpose for our lives. We have all gone astray. We have all sinned against him. We are all guilty before the one true and living God. Our sin means we are deserving of judgment and hell. But God, who is rich in mercy, has provided a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and restored to him. And he did so by providing Jesus Christ as a substitute to take the punishment we deserve on our behalf. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And when he died on the cross, he died as a sacrifice to make atonement for our sins. And he rose from the grave conquering death. So now everyone who repents of their sins and believes in Jesus will be saved. Everyone who repents and believes in Jesus will be saved. But there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. It is only through the means that God has provided in Jesus Christ. This is the glorious gospel. And this is the gospel that we must believe. This is the gospel that we must defend. This is the gospel we must contend for. And we see Jude contending for the gospel, contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints because the gospel is of utmost importance to us. And the reason Jude wrote to contend for the faith was due to the fact that certain people had crept into the church who taught things that are contrary to the gospel and consequently lived their lives in an ungodly manner. In other words, Jude wrote to contend for the faith in order to uphold the truth of the gospel, guard the purity of the church, and to bring an end to the influence of the ungodly false teachers. The letter is pastoral in nature. Jude loved and cared for the church. He saw a threat to the church, and he sought to protect the church from the danger he identified. In our passage this morning, we are going to see Jude do three things. First, he provided another reminder and warning. Then he provided instructions to Christians for the sake of their own souls. And lastly, he provided instructions to Christians regarding how to relate to others. Our passage this morning is Jude, verses 17 through 23. Jude, verses 17 through 23. Let's read. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. In verses 17 and 18, Jude provided a reminder and a warning. He said, remember what the apostles predicted. The apostles of Jesus 
who were the authoritative leaders in the church during the first century, had said that the church would be infiltrated by troublemakers. They had likely given this warning on numerous occasions and when they taught, well, when they taught throughout the church communities. And we also see a couple examples of this type of warning in scripture. When Paul addressed the elders from Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he said to them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He also wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So these passages show us the types of warnings the apostles gave to the churches throughout the first century. They explicitly told them beforehand, false teachers will arise. They will teach twisted things. They will lead people astray. And sadly, there will be those who depart from the faith. Jude wanted to remind his readers of these warnings so they would not be caught off guard or alarmed. He did not want his readers to be caught off guard or alarmed when they saw teachers teaching things contrary to the gospel. He did not want them to be caught off guard or alarmed when he saw people departing from the faith. He didn't want them to question and to doubt the truthfulness of the gospel because of these false teachers or because some were leaving the faith. He didn't want them to be caught off guard. He didn't want them to doubt. He didn't want their, their faith to be on shaky ground. Rather, he wanted them to know that when they see this, it should not surprise them because the Lord, through the apostles, had said this would happen. What was taking place was happening according to what the Lord had revealed. And here Jude described them as scoffers who follow their own ungodly passions. He also said they were worldly people who did not have the Holy Spirit. And this was a summary and reiteration of what he had already said about the troublemakers in verses 4 through 16. We've already seen that Jude did not mince words when describing the false teachers. Rather, he used very strong language to condemn them. He described them as ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. He said they rely on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. He said they are hidden reefs, shepherds with feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves at the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. The reason he used such strong language was because of the devastating effects of the false teachers. As I said, the gospel is central to who we are as followers of Christ. It's central to who we are as a church. And it is a message that must be proclaimed in order for people to be saved. Salvation comes through hearing and believing the good news of Jesus Christ. And the false teachers were leading them away from the truth of Christ and ultimately from the eternal life that we enjoy with him through repentance and faith. 
Too much was at stake for Jude to be passive or to play nice. The strong language he used may seem harsh, but was entirely warranted. It was necessary. They were causing great harm. Jude said, these people also cause divisions. And one of the things we saw in our sermon series going through John chapter 17 is the importance of unity. Shortly before he was put to death on the cross, Jesus prayed for his followers. And one of the things he prayed for was unity. The unity of the church was so important to Jesus that it was on his mind. That it was in his prayers as he faced his death on the cross. Our Lord and Savior cares about the unity of the church. And these false teachers were causing divisions by leading people to believe things that were not true, that were contrary to the gospel. So Jude didn't want the church to be surprised or caught off guard by the presence of these ungodly, worldly scoffers, but he did want the church to recognize the weight of the problem and respond appropriately. And in verses 20 through 23, he instructed them in regard to how they should respond. The first set of instructions involved what they needed to do for their their own souls. And the primary command he gave them was, keep yourselves in the love of God. And brothers and sisters, this is a command for us. We are commanded to keep ourselves in the love of God. But we are given this command in the broader context of Jude's letter. And therefore, it's important to understand what else Jude had said, which informs our understanding of this command, of this command to keep ourselves in the love of God. When Jude wrote his initial greeting, he referred to Christians as those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Christians, among other things, are those who are kept by God for Jesus Christ. And at the end of the letter, which we will read next week, Jude referred to God as him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And what is important for us to see is that the command to keep ourselves in the love of God is sandwiched in the middle of the truth that God is the one who ultimately keeps us. John Piper said over and over in the Bible, we see this. God's action is decisive. Our action is dependent. Grace is the free-keeping work of God to sustain our spiritual life that leads to everlasting joy. The means of grace is our keeping ourselves in the love of God. God's keeping inspires and sustains our keeping. His keeping is decisive, and our keeping is dependent on His. The reason this is important for us to understand is that this truth enables us to pursue keeping ourselves in the love of God with comfort and confidence rather than fear and despair. You see, we pursue keeping ourselves in the love of God knowing that God is ultimately the one that keeps us. 
We don't read this command to keep ourselves in the love of God and think, man, I hope I do a good enough job. I hope I'm a good keeper of myself. I hope I can really do a good job keeping myself in the love of God or else I don't know what's going to happen. No, we have confidence and comfort that the Lord is the one who keeps us. Our confidence is not in ourselves, but our confidence is in God who keeps us for Jesus Christ. Knowing that, having comfort in that, having confidence in that, we then pursue keeping ourselves in the love of God. Jude also gave three other injunctions which teach us how we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. He said we are to be building ourselves up praying in the Holy Spirit, and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. First of all, we are to be building ourselves up. Now, building ourselves up does not refer to positive self-talk. Jude is not telling us to say things like, I am smart. I am so great and so nice and doggone it, people like me. He is not teaching us to practice positive self-talk. No, building ourselves up involves growing in our understanding of the gospel so that we might apply the gospel and obey Christ. In the passage Sam read a few moments ago, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now listen to what he says right after he said, abide in my love. He said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love so building ourselves up in order to keep ourselves in the love of God necessarily includes walking in obedience to the commandments of Christ spiritual maturity looks like growing in obedience to the commands of Christ that we read in scripture this is how we keep ourselves in the love of god walking in obedience to christ is a good thing if you want to know the love of god if you want to enjoy the love of god if you want to walk in the love of god pursue obedience to god's commands his commands are good and his commands are good for us And we, who have been saved, are called to walk in obedience to him. And this work of building ourselves up is meant to be done together in the context of the church family. We are called to minister one to another, to help each other apply the gospel to our lives and walk in obedience to Christ that we might keep ourselves in the love of God. We are meant to encourage one another in this regard. We are meant to spur one another on the lord wants to use each one of us in the lives of our church family so let me ask you how are you seeking to grow in obedience to christ how are you seeking to understand his commands and to obey them and whom are you helping how are you helping your brothers and sisters to grow in obedience to Christ. We need to understand that we are called to do this. We are called to obey Christ and to help one another obey Christ. 
and this is a good thing. This is how we keep ourselves in the love of God. We are also instructed to pray in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gracious gift that God gives to everyone who believes in Christ. God graciously gives every believer the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. He is good. He convicts us of our sin. He leads us in the path of repentance and righteousness. He purifies our heart and produces good fruit in us. He even helps us in prayer. When we pray as Christians, we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray to God our Father through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus commanded us to pray our Father. We are commanded to pray to God who is our Father. And we have access to him because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. You see, God is holy. He is without sin. He tolerates no sin. Therefore, we who are sinners need to have our sin problem dealt with so that we can approach God. And God sent Jesus Christ to do this very thing for us. Through his work on the cross, we are forgiven of our sins and cleansed of our sins so that we can have access to God the Father. We have access to God the Father through the work of Jesus Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit who applies the work of Christ to our hearts and empowers us to approach God. So when we pray as Christians, we pray to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, that we are to be praying at all times in the Spirit. All of our prayer is meant to be empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit. We are all called to be people of prayer, and all of our praying is meant to be done in dependence on the Holy Spirit. Do you seek the Lord in prayer? Are you faithful to pray in the Spirit? Maybe you feel like you don't know how. Maybe you, you feel like you're weak. Well, guess what? That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit, who was our helper. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27, Paul wrote this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Of God. If you don't know what to pray for, welcome to the club. The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf. And the Holy Spirit always prays according to the will of God. And so we can pray in the Spirit with, again, confidence of what He is doing on our behalf. So, brothers and sisters, do you keep yourself? In the love of God through prayer. Prayer is a wonderful means of grace by which we enjoy God and grow in Him and keep ourselves in His love. Don't forsake this wonderful gift. So we have seen that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up, by praying in the Spirit, and lastly, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life speaks to our hope. If we are to keep ourselves in the love of God, we must place our hope in the right place. 
As followers of Jesus, we wait and hope for the full realization of the mercy of Christ by which we enter into eternal life. We have been given wonderful, magnificent, glorious promises. God has made extraordinary promises to us, none of which we deserve. He has promised that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven of all our sins. He has promised that through repentance and faith in Christ we are restored and reconciled to him. We are promised a wonderful future with him in his glorious kingdom where there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain. He has promised a future with him where we will fully and perfectly enjoy his presence and all of the benefits of his presence. We will know love and peace and joy in his perfect and glorious kingdom with new glorious resurrected bodies for all of eternity. We are called to put our hope in Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We are called to put our hope in the full realization of his mercy when we will enjoy him forever. Where are you placing your hope? Are you placing your hope in something that this world has to offer? Are you subtly believing that if I get this thing, then my life will be good? As followers of Jesus, we are not called to put our hope in the good things that this world has to offer. Everything this world has to offer will pass away. All the good things of this world can be taken from us. We can lose them, but we cannot lose Christ. We cannot lose his kingdom. And therefore, we are to put our hope fully in him. So how are we to respond to false teachers and false teaching that produces ungodliness? We respond by believing that God the Father keeps us and we pursue keeping ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up, praying in the Spirit, and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now we have seen what we are called to do for the sake of our own souls, but how do we relate to others? Specifically, how do we respond to those who might be tempted or persuaded by the worldly scoffers? How do we treat people who are being led away by false teachers? How do we respond to those who are falling into temptation? Well, Jude describes them as those in need of rescue. In these verses, Jude described three ways to respond to those in need of rescue. He said, have mercy on those who doubt. Rather than being condescending and judgmental, we are to show mercy. After all, when we are in sin, when we experience doubt, what do we want? We want mercy. And we have received great mercy. God has been merciful to us. He has shown us extraordinary, immeasurable mercy. Therefore, we too are to show mercy to others. Even when they doubt. We don't want to be harsh and condescending and self-righteous. Instead, we want to show mercy and be long-suffering and patient, knowing that we too have received great mercy. He said, save others by snatching them out of the fire. And his instruction there speaks to the danger of believing false teaching. He spoke of it as, as though one is 
falling into the fire, falling into destruction. One Bible commentator wrote, the first century Jesus movement expected the return of Jesus and thus the final judgment at any moment. It was seen as near rather than a distant event. As a result, those who are erring are in great danger that the judgment will catch them unprepared. In Jude's picture, the flames of judgment already lap around their feet. One must snatch them away before they are fully in flame and lost forever. You see, there was a sense of urgency. And we see this in the New Testament scriptures. There was a sense of urgency. There was an expectation that the, the return of Christ was imminent. We might think, well, they were wrong. It's been 2,000 years. But as Sam pointed out last week, God has a different perspective of time than we do. We see this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Here's what Peter said. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter was saying, don't be mistaken. Don't be lulled into believing that the Lord is slow to fulfill his promises. Don't believe the Lord is slow to do what he has said he will do. Understand the Lord views time differently than we do, and don't be lulled into believing that the Lord is slow. Instead, be ready. Understand that the Lord is patient for our sake, that we might walk in repentance and faith in Christ, but also know that the return of Christ will come like a thief, unexpectedly. He wants us to have a sense of urgency. When we're relating to others who are being led away, we want to respond with a sense of urgency. If your neighbor's roof's on fire and your neighbor's in the house, you're not gonna take a casual stroll over the ho- their house to let them know their house is about to burn down. You're not gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna watch this one last play and then I'll head on over and give them a heads up. No, there's a sense of urgency. Jude is exhorting us to respond to those who are being deceived with urgency. There is great danger. They are in great danger. Finally, he said, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And his instruction here speaks to the need for us to be cautious as we pursue those who are falling headlong into sin so that we too do not fall into sin in our efforts to rescue them. This is a reminder that sin is deceptive and enticing. We do not want to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We do not want to think, well, I'll never do that. I'll never believe that. I'll never go that way. Many people who have been led astray have thought those thoughts. We need to be careful have a right view of ourselves, not think more highly of ourselves than we ought, recognize the deceptiveness of sin, 
and guard ourselves against it. Jude exhorts us to hate sin. God hates all our sin. One of our problems is that we make peace with our sin. We're okay with our sin. We make light of our sin. We're not bothered by our sin. We're not disgusted by our sin. God hates our sin. And He calls upon us to hate our sin as He hates our sin. We do not want to take sin lightly. We do not want to make peace with our sin. We don't want to excuse it. We don't want to rationalize it. We don't want to justify it. Rather, we want to hate it and guard ourselves against it. So we see here in these verses that we are to respond to those in need of rescue with a sense of urgency. We must have a sense of urgency, but we must show them mercy. And we also must guard ourselves against falling into sin as well. This is how we are called to respond to others. Just as there were false teachers in the first century who led people away from the truth and into ungodliness, so there are today. And we should not be surprised when people depart from the faith, but we ought to be grieved by this, and we must be prepared to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. We do this, first of all, by keeping ourselves in the love of God. We need to keep ourselves in the love of God, walking in obedience to Christ, building ourselves up, praying in the Spirit, hoping in Him. We also do this by seeking to rescue those who are being led astray. And we do this with urgency, with the fear of the Lord, and with a great deal of mercy. The letter of Jude is pastoral in nature. Jude loved the church. He cared for the church. He saw a threat to the church, and he sought to protect the church. This is why he contended for the faith. Lord willing, this is something that all elder pastors do. Elder pastors are called to lead the way in contending for the faith by teaching and preaching God's word, by upholding sound doctrine and refuting false doctrine, by pursuing those who are being led astray. But this is not only the work of elders and pastors. This is something that we must all share in. This is our work to do together. We as a church family must together contend for the faith. We must contend for the gospel knowing what is at stake. We must do so by keeping ourselves in the love of God and seeking to rescue those who are being led astray. Let's pray.